Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we're taking a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who loves a good cowboy, Palmer. How are you today? Great. How about you? I'm doing just fine. Have you met any nice nice cowboys recently? No, no, I haven't. That's probably because we live in an area of the world where there are no cowboys. Texas? Yes, we live in Texas. Right. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Chilly up here in Texas, isn't it? <laughs> Especially this time of year. Yes, yeah, so chilly. <laughs> Anyway, we're back here. We're here to talk about 2006 Best Picture nominees yes. for the Academy Awards. They are as follows. Drum roll, please. No, no. I will not. You can drum roll. <laughs> Go ahead. Keep drum rolling. Keep going. I didn't say stop. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Keep, keep going. going. I have to wait for keep my, going. T- my keep iPad going. to load. Keep going. Keep going. No, I'm just kidding. Brokeback Mountain, Munich, Good Night and Good Luck. Capote and Crash. Now I know you actually know what won Best Picture this year because it's pretty famous. What movie won Best Picture? Capote. That is incorrect. Oh. Try another. Try alliteration. Keep going. Crash. That is correct. I would have loved if you said something that was. I just. I just couldn't. My my brain was like, nope, this joke's done. Yeah, you were like, <laughs> Brokeback Mountain. Nope. Mm-mm. Munich. You don't know what alliteration is, do you? <laughs> All right. Anyway, so Pinocchio. Those movies, again, are Crash, Brokeback Mountain, Munich, Capote, and Good Night and Good Luck. We, dear listeners, are going to start with Good Night and Good Luck. Directed by George Clooney, written by George Clooney and Grant Hesloff, starring Jeff Daniels, David Strahern. Dra- David Strathairn. Whew, that's tough. David wow. Strathairn. After just trying five minutes. I know. Patricia Clarkson, Robert Downey Jr., Ray Wise, Frank Langella, and George Clooney. It won no awards. Correct. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Sir Theron, Directing, Original Screenplay, Cinematography, and Art Direction. Good Night and Good Luck is about broadcast journalist Edward R. Morrow, who uh, looks to bring down Senator Joseph McCarthy during the 1950s. And that's what the movie's about. Palmer, what did you think of this movie? Uh, I like the... I like the story mm-hmm. the, the, yes like the i like stories the, are good stories are good i like the pieces that the story is trying to tell but overall i don't think it does a good job telling it okay so what do you mean the pieces i like the idea of edward amaro taking down joseph mccarthy sure uh um, who doesn't like the idea of taking down joseph mccarthy exactly but i feel like this movie doesn't do a good job of of doing it Okay, so but it doesn't do a good job at conveying that Morrow was responsible for. Well, he wasn't. Well, he was kind of responsible. He got the no. he got the American people thinking about it. No, actually, Morrow at the dinner, I believe at the dinner that they show at the beginning, mm-hmm. Morrow actually has said that if anyone if anyone points to him as being the one to take down Joseph uh, McCarthy, then they got it wrong. Like he was at the very tail end. Hmm, that's interesting. Like, yeah, McCarthy was already kind of going down. Is it because, well, yeah, but is it also, is it because McCarthy chose to respond to him and to which McCarthy didn't really respond to 
some of his other naysayers. Well, I think that's the issue with this movie is this movie is very encapsulated in itself. Like it's it has the story that it's trying to tell and it doesn't kind of give you any any room on each side of it to know what it's going. Like you just know McCarthy's having his hearings. That's correct. So you think this is like in the middle of his his like the McCarthy hype. Right. And Edward Amaro is like charging in on his horse going, "This is wrong." Sure, and, but, other but that's are, not how it goes. Sure, other people, right, but it's not a documentary, it's a film. Yes, you are correct. So, Although this kind of reminds me of a documentary. Sure, I think it's, well, because one, its use of archive footage is excellent. Yes. You know, they don't bother to cast a man to play McCarthy, they just use his footage. Right. They use a lot of footage, actually. Yeah. it was. I thought that, that piece was that very That was well very done. ingenious of them. Very Forrest Gump of them. Yeah. Uh, among many other things that have, have since done that. I don't completely disagree with you, actually. I think that... I think Stratheran is excellent as, yes. as, as very Morrow, good. It, which, it, which is great. I think the movie itself is kind of relevant, not just in 2006. We thought it was relevant in 2006, but, you know... <laughs> um, but here we are in 2018, and it's probably more relevant than it was before. In some ways. It's very relevant now. The only... In 2006, it was just the whole uh, weapons of mass destruction thing that the media was trying to get going. Like, that was that was the question the media kept asking. Sure. And this was to kind of show, like, the media's always been there to kind of hold governments accountable. Sure. But now, I think you're right. Now it's much more prevalent. I think that this. I think that if this movie was released in 2018 instead of 2005, then or 2019, whatever. Right. I, I think that. I think that it might get a little bit more attention, or maybe it would be done a little bit differently. Then you know, like we the 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 narrative itself might be a little bit more, might be a little tighter. driven, or maybe. I wouldn't necessarily say liberal, but maybe just like zeroed in. I guess I think that's what this movie needs is like is a is a much more cohesive through line. They they do the piece on McCarthy, mm-hmm. then some stuff happens. They do a follow up piece on McCarthy, and the movie's over. Like this movie only clocks in at ninety minutes. Yes, it's very quick. It is very quick, and I don't think it gives enough time to develop stuff. I I actually agree. I felt the characters mostly to be a little emotionless. Yeah, pretty much the whole. Pretty much the whole. Like I didn't feel their, I don't know, anxiety about taking on McCarthy via you know via the news channel. I didn't feel their anxiety about confronting Jeff Daniels, who's head of the studio, or any I or Downey Jr. and Patricia Clarkson and their secret marriage. Like that yeah. all felt weirdly tacked on. Yeah, especially like towards the end when Jeff Daniels is like, "Look, we got to let some people go. We all know that you're that your husband and wife. That's against company policy. You could save somebody's job." Yeah, it, I was actually most invested in that scene. Yeah, I, I think, but I didn't care up until that point. If that makes sense, right? And and that actually did happen. Um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character actually uh, volunteers to leave. He went off to do. Um, he went off to do newspaper writing, and he actually came back to CBS hmm. once they got rid of that policy. Oh, that's well. There you go. It all yeah. worked. Happy fairy tale ending for all of them. 
except for Frank Langella. No, I was, who was also who was also great. In this he movie. was really good in this. He I also, also like that this is. You're right. Yes. I also like this. Is, this is like second movie on this kind of on this kind of theme where he was in uh, Frost Nixon as Nixon. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, that's a good point. He also plays Perry White as he does. He's a news guy yep. from way back. No, I was going to say for Ray Wise as Don Hollenbeck, that was probably the only. That was probably the only scene that it was like you feel for Don when he's kind of raked through the coals in the papers. Right. I felt for him there. Yeah. Um, like but he he has a decently developed story for being a B character and Wise does a really good job with it. I was I I really like him. I've liked him um I mean, I know he was in Robocop, but he also plays Commissioner Gordon. Ray Wise does? Yeah. When? Uh in a Batman. Possibly um possibly Dark Knight Returns. It could be Dark Oh, I think you're right, actually. I know I'm pretty sure he plays Commissioner Gordon because I think it Peter is Wells, who's also in Robocop, I'm, I plays think I think a you're Batman. right. He was a good Commissioner Gordon yeah. in Dark Knight Returns. Uh, the animated he, adaptation for those of you who don't know. Yeah, and about. he was also in a very short lived TV show. Uh, Reaper, which I loved. He played the devil. Like that's oh. how I first kind of glommed onto him, and he was just very good at this. It was a comedy. It was just very funny. It was a really good show. Only lasted for like two seasons. Glom. On CW. Good word, glom. I yeah. like that. I don't. I don't know <laughs> what it means exactly, but it, I got what you meant. Yeah, it was good. Um, but he's he's very good, and I think he's developed his story. Kind of comes all together. Even though it's not the main story, yeah, I think it's a well constructed piece, but I think it's just missing some kind of component, and I, I don't, I'm not really sure what it is. Maybe grander uh, I, context. I, th- I think, I think better writing, tighter writing. The vi- visually, I I, this the, movie the, looks. The movie's good. tight. Like, it's ninety minutes. It's right, but tighter isn't the word you're looking no. for. I don't think. I mean, the story. I think grander scope. Maybe, maybe is yeah. that what you're looking for? Possibly. I want I want more of the story, but at the same time, I don't want it to be another three hours. Sure. Like, give me a two hour version of this movie, and I think we're good. I felt like it was missing energy. I think that's what was the was I, I it, yeah. it needed some kind of. We've seen a lot George of George Lucas to come in and be like faster, more intense, <laughs> less believable. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen, and I think this movie also suffers from having now seen like Newsroom. Seeing those types of shows and movies since that sure, have but, that have done it better. Sure, but the, the stuff like that has existed long before, long before Good Night and Good Luck. You know, there was you know, there's all the kings met, and all the kings men, um, all the presidents men, right. and you know, we've seen the news story before. We've talked about it on this show before. Yeah, but see, I something like Newsroom, which I love. You know, I love Newsroom. Yeah, is. Uh, hyper, I don't know. I don't know. It's hyper intense. Hyper intense. It's hyper realistic. It's like it's not yeah. really real. Maybe something like Spotlight, which we talked about two episodes ago, one episode ago, one, one episode, episode ago. Yeah. Um, you know that that's a good right. Example. No Spotlight. That's yeah. a good example of a little bit more energy goes a long way. Right. And this, I think, I think the thing is, this takes a very clinical approach to what it wants to tell and doesn't really do anything else other than it. Clinical is a good word. Yeah. Clinical is a good word. I'll take it. But I mean, this, this, it looks good. 
Yeah, it's it's shot well. It's yeah, it's beautiful. You know, it's the beautiful. acting. There's is very a reason good. that it was nominated for cinematography and art direction, yeah. even if it didn't win. Yep. Yeah. Uh, fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. This movie was called Good Night and Good Luck. Wow, fun fact. Just yeah. waiting for that phone to load. <laughs> Precisely every 23 minutes, the standard running time of television shows from the 1950s, the film is punctuated by a jazz song before, performed by Diana Reeves. Oh, that, I was, that's cool that it was every 23 minutes. I did like that inclusion. Yeah. But um, that, that's I, I like when mov- I like when movies subtly make use of their time frame. You know, like they like every twenty three minutes. That's this is a thing that happens. I I or like the that. countdown in Aliens is actually fifteen minutes yeah. or whatever. You know, I like that. However, I feel like that time could have been better better utilized with a story. Sure, sure. Uh, the entire set was built on one floor. The elevator interior was built on a turntable, so it could rotate to a new floor during unbroken shots. That's not how elevators work. <laughs> In one scene, the CBS Records office is represented by a false wall that was then raised out of a shot while the door was closed. Hmm. That's cool. The first pick, Best Picture Academy Award nominee to be in black and white sent Schindler's List. Wow, that's... 11 years, right? No, 10 nope. years. Um, 12 that, years. 13, 1993. 90, Schindler's came out in 93. Yep. So it was nominated for 94. Four. So it's 12 years. Yeah. Ha. Ha. <laughs> hey. All right, anyway, continue. That's it. I'm, okay. I'm trying to limit myself to three per movie. Oh, that's interesting. A new rule. I like rules. You know me. <laughs> so I'm a little type A that way. Capote who is not type A in any stretch of the imagination, directed by Bennett Miller, written by Dan Futterman, based on the book by Gerard Clark, starring the late and great Philip Seymour Hoffman, Catherine, uh, Catherine Keener, Chris Cooper, Amy Ryan, Clifton College Jr., Bruce Greenwood, and Mark Pellegrino. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actress for Catherine Keener, Director, and Adapted Screenplay. It won Best Actor for Philip Seymour Hoffman. The Plot. In 1959, Truman Capote learns of the murder of a Kansas family and decides to write a book about the case. While researching for his novel the, entitled In Cold Blood, his last book, actually, Capote forms a relationship with one of the killers, Perry Smith, who is on death row. Capote, what do you think? Uh, this movie is a vehicle for Philip Seymour Hoffman. Sure. Got him the award, too. It really did. It was a great um, vehicle. And just watching it for his performance is reason enough. I, I would agree. He is super compelling yeah. in this movie. Even if what's happening around him really isn't, isn't. isn't very compelling. Yeah. Even, not that the other actors around him aren't good. Bruce, Bruce Greenwood could read the phone book for all I care. Right. You know, Catherine Keener, for that matter. Catherine Keener, yeah. Uh, Catherine Keener. I don't know why I would call her Kathleen. Um, Catherine Keener. Um. Chris Cooper, who's yeah. not in it a ton, is great. The, the, it has some good character actors, but this entire movie, this entire movie survives because of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, it's one of those. It's one of those instances where he kind of disappears in the role. Like his voice is different. Mm-hmm. His overall look is his different. Affectation is yeah. yeah. Um, he really becomes Capote. That being said, if you want to see a a movie 
that's a little bit more complete about this period of time in Capote's life, there's a much better version with Toby Jones that came out right around the same time. Oh, I remember that. Um, Toby, I've never seen it. It was good. It's got Sandra Bullock as um, as Harper Lee. Oh. Uh, Toby Jones as Capote. His Capote's not as good as Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's not bad. It's just it's just completely overshadowed by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm. But I feel the story is better. So if you put S- Philip Seymour Hoffman in, in that, that story, movie, I believe it's a much like you, you're then probably talking maybe best picture. That's interesting that that one just gets totally passed by. But this Capote, right? Because that was the like that was the thing. Like the one thing you had heard about this movie in its build up was just how great Philip Seymour Hoffman is. That's true. Because the rest of the movie doesn't really do much. Uh, yeah, I like guess. Like, he just kind of stumbles around. I, I actually disagree with that. I I enjoyed I enjoyed the character-driven narrative of Capote, because mm-hmm. it, it really is about, it's about him and, and how he processes this awful murder that he sunk his teeth into, that he's so excited at the beginning of the movie. He's like, I need to write about this. I yeah. have to go. And, and then by the end, it's just, it basically destroyed him, right? He never really wrote after this. Yeah, he never completed anything else after this. Which is which is crazy. You know, you follow up Breakfast at Tiffany's with In True Blood continually on, you know, Barnes & Noble's table of, you probably should read this book table, you know. Yeah. It's, I think the movie itself feels like a Truman Capote novel. It's a, it's It has this, like, kind of methodical slow pace to it you know it it takes its time to be visually descriptive Mm -hmm. whereas he was descriptive in in of himself so it's like a weird meta movie that way i guess where you just like i'm not reading compote i'm watching compote but i feel like i'm reading Reading it at the same time yeah i think that i i think that is a challenging way to make a film so from from that point from that point i really from that point, I really liked it. But you're right. I think the whole movie hinges on Philip Seymour Hoffman, which is fine. There are some movies that, I mean, a lot of movies hinge on the performances of their lead actors. Right. You know, if, they, if they're if, all bad actors, the movie, generally speaking, is bad. But, I mean, this cast is decent, is is good actors. Oh, yeah. But I don't think if you have Philip Seymour Hoffman as as good as he is in this movie, this movie just doesn't even get... A second thought come award season. I, I that that I that might be true though. I think his Capote himself overshadows anybody that he's kind of around. Mm-hmm. So it's almost fitting that his performance kind of outweighs everybody else in the room because that's kind of the person Capote was. Like if they were as maybe extreme as he was, it just wouldn't work. Like yeah. he's he's like this weird. I don't know. Ray, he's not a ray of sunshine necessarily, yeah, but definitely not. No, but you know what I mean. Like that scene in the police in the police station where where he's like, "Oh, this is where my coat's from," and everyone's just like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, I know it's nice." <laughs> like it just he just doesn't fit into whatever room he's in, and that's what makes him compelling. So I guess from a character, like from a char- like I said, from a n- character piece, it works really well, though. It's the story itself is not interested in the plot. It's interested in Capote, but the right. movie's also called which Capote, is, which is fine. Although the more time like I spend Munich. with Capote, we don't spend any time in Munich. Yeah. This is a, this um, is a misnomer. With um, 
with the more time I spend with Capote, the less time I see him as a good human being at times. I don't know if you're supposed to see him as a good human yeah. being. Like, someone else said that. Someone was saying to me, like, they didn't like something. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was Who Was Afraid of Virginia Woolf because none of, like, because none of the characters in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf are likable people. Right. And I said, yeah, but did you... Did you feel something? Yeah. You know, and they said, yeah. Yeah, I feel, I felt hatred. I felt <laughs> hatred. I'm like, then they did their job. Because right. you don't have to like the main character. No. That's not a requirement of, that's not a requirement of a story. You know, you don't have to like who you're reading about. It's helpful because why would you want to continue if you yeah. just hate who you're looking at? You don't hate Capote. But especially for like a biopic, you don't. I would I would argue that you don't necessarily have to root for your main character like that a couple number of years ago now maybe over ten years ago there's a there was that German film about Hitler's last few weeks you're like the main character is Hitler <laughs> I would argue you don't yeah, you're have not to really like, cheering for him you don't really him. have to like him like that's not the, you right. know like oh he he died that's oh, sad oh no, yeah yeah oh no so I I don't think that's I don't know if that should be play a factor. But I do, I do understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Do you have any fun facts? I do. Tell me some fun and facts. Some, and most of them just revolve around him, not so much the movie. That's fine. Tell me some. Uh, so Sandra me. Bullock was considered for the role of Harper Lee. She played Harper Lee in another Truman Capote movie, Infamous, which is the movie with Topi Jones. Interesting that she was yeah. also that she was considered. They're like, nah, you already did it. Yeah. Well, I did no, like it was, the, right, it, was, I, it was the same year, like uh, 2006. Oh, uh, I did like the running gag. Of hey that that book you write that, to kill to kill to kill a bird how to kill a bird like and they're all like I didn't even know she wrote You're like jokes on you she already wrote one book yeah but I I enjoyed that in 1960 before To Kill a Mockingbird was released Capote proudly talked told his friends that Lee's book was coming out and that she had written him into it do you know what role he actually was Atticus Finch Dill. Oh sure, yeah. They grew okay. up. They grew up together, um, in the town of that they grew up with. In the in the town of To Kill May- a Mockingbird, Mayberry. It, no, no, it's not Mayberry. <laughs> we'll find out right. when we go. <laughs> when see, we go see it, yeah. Um, but his mother moved to New York, and he would spend summers with his with his relative next door, mm. just like in To that's, Kill a Mockingbird. That's super fun. Yeah. And the character of Droopy Dog was fashioned after Truman Capote. That's hilarious. Yep. That makes so much sense. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's amazing. That's the maybe the best fun fact you've ever had. Yes. I love that. Oh, good old Droopy Dog. Speaking of good old Droopy Dog. No, I got nothing. That's not a transition Speaking at of all. good old Droopy Dog. Munich. Munich, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Tony Kushner and Eric Roth. Based on the book by George Jonas, starring Eric Bannon, Daniel Craig, uh, Kieran Hines? It's Kieran, right? Yeah. Kieran Hines? Kieran Hines. No, Hines. Hines. Kieran Hines. Jeffrey Rush, uh, Matthew Kasovitz, uh, and Hans Zichler. It was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Adapted Screenplay, Editing, and Music for John Williams. It won nothing. nothing. It won nothing. The plot. Shall I go through the plot? Indeed, based on the true story of the aftermath of the 1972 Olympics in Munich, in which the Palestinian terror 
terrorist group Black September took 11 Israeli, uh, Israeli Olympic team members hostage and killed them along with a West German police officer. The film is about the five men chosen to eliminate the ones responsible for that fateful day from the Israel, uh, by the Israeli government. That is what the film is about. Yes. What did you think of this film? Uh, well, at the very beginning, it makes me think of it makes me think of 2018 when they're going through the news report of of what's happening at the airport. Oh, sure. And the plane blows up, and everyone's like, "Well, all the terrorists are dead, and the hostages are all alive." Yep, that's what happened. I'm like, wait a second, I don't remember that happening that way. Two seconds later, wait. Nope, all of the hostages are dead. Like, what is this, Twitter? Yeah, <laughs> we screwed up. Well, it goes to show you that we've been screwing up the news for years. <laughs> it's just we're just maybe more aware of it now. Yeah. Um, so it starts It starts off with a pretty sizable blunder on behalf of, uh, on behalf of the news uh, organizations because they which, show, like, different people. Yeah, which is arguably not the main point of the story. No, but, I mean, it's just the way that it starts and it's... It's really weird. It's weirdly relevant to you. Yeah. Um, so we go on from there. I th- One of the things that I like most about this is Eric Bana, who... Just in general. It's is just in general, but how he starts in one place of being very... A little apprehensive to go away from his family and his wife who's pregnant. Extremely apprehensive. But is like yeah. I need. I should be. I should do this for my country. Lara Zorel. No, Allura. Mm. Oh yes. Yeah, she was Superman's mom. Right. Steel. Um, boom. Got it. <laughs> so he's like, I should do this for my country, and then he kind of he doesn't. For he him. doesn't come back from it. He loses himself. No, he has wicked PTSD from this super secret mission. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's mm-hmm. like he, he doesn't come back the same way. He loses a part of him. And I think that's what the movie is ultimately like the trying to tell you. Like the country lost a part of itself. Huh? Like the country lost a part of itself. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good read on it because I didn't really get that. On my viewing of this movie, but it, it, your description right there actually just made me like this movie more. Yeah, because I found I found it a little tedious. It is. It's two and a. It's two, two hours 20? and forty five minutes. Yeah, and, and, and it can be. And, and I found the film much more interested. Unlike Capote, which is a character driven narrative, yeah. this is a plot driven narrative. I found it, it, it could have cared less about the five people except for Eric Bana. He was the only right. one. He was the only one that really mattered. He, and even then, I had a, I had a, not a hard time getting a reading on his character, but a hard time caring about what happened to anybody, to anybody else in the film. Because I, I guess and no, like the assassination, like moments were very harrowing. So I, I found I found myself invested that way, but because I didn't care about the guys themselves, like it wanted me to care because they were real, right. like they were real people. But it's so far outside of our existence now. It was 1972. We yeah. weren't around then, so it's a little bit harder for me to to attach myself. So I think one of the problems with this, as you're saying, like it only it only cares about Eric Bana's character and not really about the rest of the people he's with. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be because even to this day. This is disavowed. 
That's right. Like it is Didn't still happen. it is still uh, completely denied by Israel, if I remember correctly. And the only real way this comes out is, um, I believe the writer found out that their relative, and it might have been their father, was Eric Bana's character. Oh, okay. And that's why they chose to write this. Oh. So the chances are they're really only writing his story. Because that's and all he's the like, story And there had. were other people there. Gotcha, because that was the because they didn't have right. Else. So he, I don't even think like his fa- like the person's father would have been like, this is how I felt and this is how it was. I think they might have put the pieces together that this is what made their father this. Hmm. So like you have to write a story around that. That being said, I think I'll agree with you. It gets tedious, but I also think this is one of. St- Spielberg's last really good movies. Well, what did he do right after this? Uh, right before this, he did War of the Worlds. After this which was, is, which was fine. After this was maybe Catch Me If You Can, which I absolutely dislike. You dislike Catch Me If You Can? I do because of Tom Hanks's Boston accent. Oh yeah, he does have Boston accent in that no, movie. He, uh, yeah. you're right? Okay. No, you're you're actually wrong. You're so wrong. Um, Catch Me If You Can was 2002. I was close. You were not close at all. Oh, do you know what his next movie after this was? Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yep. This was his last good movie. Uh, I disagree because I enjoyed I The know. Adventures I... of Tintin, actually. I actually I have not seen that. I and I forget that he was the one who directed that one. Because Peter Jackson And Peter Jackson and is, supposed to rep- is supposed to direct the second one. Still waiting, Peter. Yep. I enjoyed well, the first he's one. Trying to figure out, he's trying to figure out how to turn it into a three-movie it's Tintin. There's hundreds of comics. He can right, turn but you got to take movie. one story and make it into three movies. That's, that's Peter Jackson's forte. I know. That's not true. King Kong was only one movie. It felt three movies. Yeah, it did, didn't it? <laughs> it sure did. Yeah. Um, Eric Bond is great. I really like Jeffrey Rush in this. Me too, but I like Jeffrey Rush in everything. So Yeah. Actually, I liked the whole cast. Even Mr. Potato Head, Daniel Craig. I actually like Daniel Craig in this movie because... I feel like he's actually enjoying himself. He does look like he's enjoying himself. I you know, agree. which is weird to say in a movie about Munich, but like I know him mostly from James Bond, which he's said repeatedly he hates doing, yet he still does it. Yes, because they pay him lots of yeah, money. I know. I just wish he would stop. I know, but wouldn't I mean if they were like here's 25 million dollars to run around in a suit, you'd be like, "All right." Yeah, but I also wouldn't mind playing James Bond. That's a good point. Like like, if they're offering me $25 million to be in a Marvel movie, I might have to think about it. Yeah. No, you do it. You're like, <laughs> screw my principles. $25 million. I'll just I make, have no principles. I'll just make it up on the interviews. Yeah. Um, John Williams' score is very is very understated in this. Um, it is understated. It, in some, well, in some ways, this was his... Um, this was the era of Hollywood music of the single the single wailing voice. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like I starting in about 2000, 2000 and moving up t- for the next 10 years or so, right up until about maybe, maybe a little less than that. This was the era of, we're going to get a really good soloist and she's going to feel, or he's going to feel the music. You know, it's that, it's mm-hmm. that era. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Like, I love that style. Bring it back. Waiting strong on it. But we've seen uh, we've seen Williams do a few things like that yeah. already 
in the 2000s, so I'm not surprised he didn't. I'm not surprised he didn't win. That being said, this movie has my second favorite scene in any of the movies nominated this year. Because I remember, I remember when I saw this in the theaters, the scene of the um, the bomb that they place in the phone, mm-hmm. and the little girl picking up the phone that they're about to explode. Oh yeah, that was a good scene. Mm-hmm. When I first saw it in the theaters, it was just very tense because you didn't know if they were going to realize sure. it. Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's very. It's shot very well. It's paced well. That is like really good dramatic tension. Excellent. Are you going to tell us what your favorite scene is in all of these movies? Uh, no, because th- I haven't done it yet. No, but I know, I know, but like I'm just saying, like when we get to what is your favorite scene, are you going to do it? Oh yeah. Oh okay. That's it. That's all I wanted to know. Yeah, my favorite scene is coming up. Okay. Great. Yeah. Okay. That's all I wanted. Okay. Okay. It wasn't that hard. Broke back? No, you have fun facts. What am I doing here? Oh, I do have fun yeah. facts. Because what what would a movie like Munich be without fun facts? While I'm pulling up the fun facts, I will say uh, I did really like the accountant for Israel. I want receipts. I don't remember that guy at all. Oh, you don't remember when like they're when he's like, here's how the money's going to work. I want oh, receipts. Yeah, right at the beginning, and Jeffrey right? Rush is like, make sure you kill people. Tell them. Bring me back receipts. That's great. <laughs> I actually use uh, in my cinema class that uh, that crane shot uh, when they're in the bank and they're opening up the boxes and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually use that exact shot to teach some aspects of cinematography. About putting money in boxes? Put money, this money is how in boxes. you put no, money in boxes. Uh, or uh, what a crane shot, an indoor crane oh, shot okay. is, yes. Either one, yes. The ending of the movie conflicts with the real-life one, where the Mossad agents successfully bomb the mastermind of the Munich killings along with his four bodyguards and three innocent bystanders. They also injured 16 innocent bystanders. Wow. It just made me think of this. I also really liked, although they're not in the movie a lot, the people they get, the, the family they get their information from. Sure. I would watch an entire movie on that family. Sometimes. Especially with the lead, especially with the, the, the patriarch as the lead, because he was very good. Sometimes side characters are the best characters. They really are. The film crews called the shooting of the movie as a race against the clock. In order to have the film ready by Christmas for Academy Award consideration, Spielberg and editor Michael Kahn devised an editing schedule in which, one, all of the scenes in Malta and Hungary. No. Hungary? Hungary? H-U-N-G-A-R-Y? Hungary. No. Hungary. Yeah, it's just spelt weird. Hungary, shot in 12 weeks, were edited on the spot. Each day, Spielberg would review an edited scene shot two days earlier. Two copies of the edited scene were sent out, one to John Williams for music and the other to Ben Burt for sound effects. The Paris and New York scenes were edited two weeks after photography, and the final cut was readied after another two weeks. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. He does move quickly if you really want to. He's like, we're making a movie. Let's go. We don't have time to waste. (laughs) Spielberg was going to direct this film for a 2003-2004 release, but shelved it when Tom Cruise became available so the duo could work on War of the Worlds instead. And I think that was the right choice. Wow. You are in a minority. I know I am. And I've never gone back 
to War of the Worlds like, because I'm like, you know what? I remember it being good. This is my opinion. I can't change it, so I can't I like, go back and see it I was it like, again. if I go back and rewatch this, it's not going to hold up. It's it's not. It's and not. I'm kind of okay with just like leaving my opinion there and being like, I'm good with it. I never have to watch this movie again. Okay, well, that's fine. You don't. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to make you watch it again. Not on this. <laughs> it wasn't show. nominated, right? No, 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 no it wasn't. wasn't. Although it's Spielberg, so who knows? No, it wasn't. No, it definitely wasn't. But that's it for that. Let's move on to Brokeback Mountain, directed by Ang Lee, written by Larry Larry McMurty and Diana Osana, based on the short story by Annie Annie Prue Prue Prowl Prue. I think it's Prue. You don't know. Per. What am I asking you for? Starring Heath Ledger. Why are you talking to the cat? Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michelle Williams, Anne Hathaway, Kate Mara, Randy Quaid, David Harbour, Anna Faris, and Linda uh, Linda Cardellini. Johnson. Linda Cardellini. Oh. Most most of those people don't actually matter in the grand scheme of the movie. It's really just Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michelle Williams, and Anne Hathaway. Yep. And Kate Mara, because she was great for like her five minutes of screen time. Yeah, because she comes in towards the end because she's the, the grown-up daughter. That's right. I just... You know, it's fun when actors who are not famous yet are like, hey, I'm in this movie. I, I like when that happens. Yeah. Before they were famous, the spinoff of, of Academy Rewind. Oh, God, no. No, can't do that. <laughs> Nominated for Best Actor for Heath Ledger, Supporting Actor for Hall, Supporting Actress for Williams, Cinematography. No, poor Anne Hathaway. Just... Nothing. She's not in enough of it. I say she's in. I would also I argue would... that Williams isn't in enough of it to for the consideration. Uh, I she's, I disagree. Supporting actor. I mean, you can't say that when Judy Dench wins for Shakespeare in Love. I can obviously say that she's, because that's Judy Dench. She's in... Judy Dench wasn't on Dawson's Creek, and this being like her first major movie. This, was this Michelle Williams' first major movie? Uh, it wasn't her first movie, but this was like when she's because this is also when she started dating um, Heath Ledger. Like you can you can uh. you can go with her career project uh, projection as far as like her fame from when she starts dating Heath Ledger. It starts to skyrocket. I'm not saying it's because of Heath Ledger, but like that's the very clear distinction. They start dating, and her her like presence in like award bait movies mm-hmm. goes up. Interesting. And I mean it does help that she does a good job. Like I've never been a huge fan of hers because I have a grudge against her from Dawson's Creek. Um but like she's always like she does steady and consistent work in the movies that she's in and she gets she gets noticed and she gets the praise starting with this one. Um and then she goes on for like uh I think Blue Valentine, Johnny the Johnny Cash movie, maybe no. I don't know. She wasn't in that. No. That was um, Reese Witherspoon. Ah, I'm done listening to you. Yeah. Okay. One best director, best adapted screenplay, and best music. Story okay. involves a forbidden and secretive love between two cowboys and their lives over the years. It's pretty pretty straight and narrow that way, isn't it? Takes place in Wyoming. Put him cheap. 1962. <laughs> Straight and narrow. Didn't even. <laughs> Got him. 
So, so yeah, yeah. Um, Brokeback Mountain is was very famously like everyone thought it was going to win. This was like, everyone thought it was going to win. It was a big deal. Everyone boycotted it, which was a really weird. Like it's going to win. Like, Let's not every, go see. Everyone's it. boycotting it, so it's going to win the Academy Awards, and then it doesn't. So then everyone complains at the Academy Awards. Uh, you know, don't like homosexuals. Um, so you're they, they complain that the Academy doesn't like homosexuals, right? Yeah, even though they nominated this movie right. and nominated both actors. Now, granted, nobody really won anything for it except Ang Lee. Sure, and, and, adap- and, and adapted screenplay. And adapted screenplay. And adapted screenplay. Um, but it well, didn't win. It didn't win the it, big. It didn't, it didn't win any. It, it didn't, didn't win any awards that people cared about. Apparently, apparently, uh, directors a great one. To, yeah, people care about the actors and best picture. Yeah. Outside of that, people are like, meh. Like it's which is dumb because, it, like, the writing and the directing basically together basically says this was a great movie. Yes. So, which is dumb because it is a great movie. It is a, an extremely pretty movie. I love all of Ang I Lee's love Ang Lee's cinematography and his pretty. and his visual style. You know, I S- slow and pretty. You know, an Ang Lee film. Yeah, Ang Lee. You know, directed the best Marvel comics movie in the Hulk. Mm-hmm. He does. He does this. He do, does it. Why very do you say well. things? You you don't believe that to be true? No, I I, I do believe that to be true. I why. Why I really like the Hulk. Why? Because it's the Hulk that I want to see someone who doesn't like being the Hulk. And that's the again, I would like argue any, I would argue that <laughs> you put you put Eric Bana in a movie where he gets PTSD over something and apparently it's a great movie for me. Yeah, apparently. Like I I just want to see poor Eric Bana. You should watch Star Trek. He's also as PTSD. I do that and argue. he's great. Wow. Um, you know, he's like, great. Actually, like the more you torture Eric Bana for some reason, I'm like, this movie's great. That's, I just, I just. So that being said, I liked Ang Lee for a while. Um, this being one of the reasons, uh, Ice Storm, with Elijah Wood, and um, Wednesday Adams, Christina Ricci. Yep. Of course, to be fair. I only knew about that movie and watched it originally because Katie Holmes had like a five minute scene in it. And again, coming off of Dawson's Creek, I would watch anything with most of those cast members in it. So I watched that one and it was really good. But Ang Lee's visual style is always perfect. It's always so pretty. The The mountain scenes are shot so well. It's so beautiful. Even... Even on like bad weather days, he he tends to still make them look pretty. Sure, yeah, I would agree. But I mean, bad weather can look pretty. It's not. It can just because but... you can't go outside and enjoy the sun doesn't mean <laughs> it can't be pretty. That's weatherist of you. you. Know, this is before Randy Quaid goes <laughs> bonkers. Bonkers is <laughs> bonkers. The, bonkers is the word. You're, is the, the is exact the clinical, word you're is the clinical for. diagnosis. He's, he goes... he became that he became that tiger cop from the cartoon show. Bonkers. Wow. Yeah. That's such a callback. Oh, man. I miss Bonkers. Wow. Good stuff. I found this movie very touching, but I also found it rather cold. Like, you know, you touchingly the, cold. Touchingly cold. Also, found, the name of my autobiography. That is the name of your autobiography. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I think Ledger is outstanding. I think Hall is good. I don't think he's great. 
I think he weirdly gets better as the film goes, but if the movie's not th- shot in sequence, I'm not sure how that happened, but I just, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I was more invested in his character by uh, overall. I thought Michelle Williams was spectacular. Anne Hathaway, I can see why she wasn't nominated. I think she's good. This was her, this was one of her, like, I'm not a Disney princess anymore movies. Yeah. You know, but they, um, they, the casting director refused to tell Ang Lee like stuff she had been in they were just like this is Anne. she's a broadway she's a she's a broadway star which i don't even know if she'd been on broadway at that point and Anne had no idea who she was so that was that was good it worked Aang, out just yeah. fine it worked out yeah. just fine um she's good in this although this movie lies to me like i've i've been in bars and and hathaway and hathaway has never come up to me to make the first move have you been in a bar in wyoming Yes. No, you haven't. Shut up. I could have been. You're not. I've always, I've always had to go to Anne to to make the first move. In this... always, yeah, oh, <laughs> in, in in your fantasy world, you always have to go over to Anne Hathaway. Even. Right. It's it's weird. Yes. Yeah, we, no. Yeah. You also don't look anything like Heath Ledger. No, you don't. Shut up. I could. No, you don't. Yeah, not <laughs> a, well, I mean, he's he's been dead for several years. I would argue I look better. Don't speak ill of the dead. I miss him so much. He was so stupidly talented. Oh, he was. He was tremendously talented, and I feel bad that his last movie was The Imaginarium of Dr. Paragnus. Parnassus. Parnassus. That was his last movie? That, yeah, because it wasn't completed. They, oh, actually had to, yeah. they actually had to come up with the device of him like being different people That's to right. finish that movie. That's right. Maybe it would have been better um, if they didn't have to do that. Uh, I, I don't think so, because that director can't make a good, complete movie. Who made that movie? Uh, it's the guy from Monty Python. Terry Gilliam? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, look at me knowing stuff. So anyway, Brokeback Mountain, I I had seen it, I had seen it uh, eons ago, maybe when it first came out, and I hadn't revisited it. And I remember thinking, wow, that was a great movie. And then so on the, the revisit... I was like, this movie's good. It's not great. It's good. But by the end of the film, I was like, no, this is this is a very good movie. It's not great, I'd say. Right. But I, I found it I found it very compelling all the way through. But in a way that Ang Lee makes films that I feel are rather detached from themselves. I, I I'm not sure I'm not sure how to put it any other way than you never I even though even though they're all emoting, it all feels like maybe like it's part of a painting or something mm-hmm. like that. And I can't latch on to their the movies are too pretty. Maybe that's maybe it is. Maybe there's I needed some like ugly crying or something like that. I'm not sure. But although I was very touched by the end of the film with um, Heath Ledger's character inside Jake Gyllenhaal's character's room, you know, like his childhood room yeah. going around. So it has it, it. It happens. It has that that meat. But. Maybe it just feels rushed at the beginning, like the passage of time doesn't it, it, doesn't it really feel natural does. to me. They're like they're them coming together mm-hmm. almost feels like a light switch. Yes. Maybe like it was this, maybe it was supposed to feel like a light switch. And it's very possible, but to me it just doesn't it doesn't feel right. Sure. Yeah. You know, I want I want a romance movie where I can see the progression a little bit better than what this movie kind of gives you. Mm-hmm. And I understand, like, <coughs> it's a, it, the movie is in some ways, it's not about the romance, it's not about the honeymoon romance. 
It's about the, the visceral, the visceral physical attraction. No, I would think it's about the because the honeymoon stage is over once they leave Brokeback for the first time, right? Yeah, but they're also not together at that point, right? But they get back, but they come back together, right? In an instance that proves, like, I don't understand how everybody in movies is so dumb they cannot like hide a an affair. Well, I mean, <laughs> like he shows up and they just start kissing, like in the middle of the he, open. He the looks around there. really fast, and it's not—it's Michelle. I mean, Michelle Williams is just nosy, is what she is. By looking outside the door, yeah, randomly. Why would you? Why do you? Do you ever look outside your door? When I'm expecting people, yes. Yeah, but well, well, good point. I guess she was expecting him. She wasn't expecting what she saw, though, was she? No. Oh, got her. She uh, she was pretty. I think she was pretty. She was pretty tremendous. She was. It was very understated, which I enjoyed. There wasn't any like big blowout, and so by the time that she actually confronts him at the most awkward Thanksgiving dinner, or at, like anyone's ever been to, ever ever put to screen, like if you think if you think your Thanksgiving's bad, watch this movie. Yeah, I th- I honestly think that the, I'm like I become more invested as the movie goes on, which is interesting because sometimes you, you're invested in a film right away, mm-hmm. but to be like. Not meanderingly invested, but like by the end, where like where Heath Ledger is sitting with his daughter inside his trailer, I'm like, I care so much about what happens to you. I think that's because you see his progression. Yeah, he starts off like he goes into the relationship, but he's like, it's just a one time thing. Like he doesn't really accept what this is. So seeing him gradually, like even when he comes back into his life. He's like, I'm not going to leave my wife. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it, we can't be together. That's right. And then, like, he kind of has those regrets down the line. Yeah, he's devastated. And, he's, he's, and he's it becomes like... more accepting of who he really is. Like, this movie is him kind of finding himself, unfortunately, not until late in life. Well, I think that's why this movie, why he gets nominated for lead actor, but Hall gets supporting actor. He's the focus of this movie. He's He is the focus. That what I'd argue that, like... A true supporting actor doesn't have the backstory that a true supporting actor doesn't have the backstory that Jill and Hall gets in this film either. So I think that they are both the leading men. They're co-leads, but Heath Ledger is obviously the the slightly more focal point. But that's just because he really survives. If Jill and Hall like that's like if Jill and Hall survived instead of Ledger, then it's his movie instead. That's the right. old, that's the only twist to make it more Ledger's movie than Gyllenhaal. Yeah. So I would say that it, you know, I'd say that it's it's both their films. Is Jesus Christ Superstar Judas's story or is it Jesus's? You know, it's Mary's. It's no, it's that's not true. Um, she, only, she only gets one song. Herod. He only, also only gets one song. Mary, gets but two. they're both great. They are great <laughs> songs. Anyway, do you have fun facts about this movie? Uh yes. Tell me, some, fun fact, tell me some fun fact. They facts. both weren't in a relationship with each other. I have a I uh, obviously. Um, I have a fun fact about this movie. Go ahead. Uh, I've been to Riverton, Wyoming, where this movie takes place. That's not a real because place. Because my my you. family lived there, so yeah, it's definitely a real place. No, nope. I've been there. It's very pretty. That post office is there. Probably, I don't remember. <laughs> I was a child. When asked if he had any fears about playing a gay man, Heath Ledger replied that he was not afraid of the role. Only that he wasn't mature enough to do it justice. I miss him so much. Ah. 
Utah jazz owner Larry H. Miller pulled the film from his Jordan Commons Entertainment Complex in Sandy, Utah, a suburb of, a suburb of Salt Lake City, despite heavily advertising the film. He reneged on his obligations to show it two hours before the first scheduled showing when he learned of the homosexual content, claiming that the film represented a danger to family values. Focus Feature threatened to sue and announced that they would no longer do the business do business with Miller. If you don't realize what this movie's about two hours before you're showing it, you are a horrible businessman. Like I didn't even see this movie in the theater and I knew what it was about. That's right. You didn't you didn't bother to read the plot summary. Right. Just or watched any trailers that you apparently promoted. Yeah, nope. That man that man deserves to lose the money he lost. <laughs> Uh, the poster for the film was deliberately styled to resemble another romantic epic. Can you name the greatest, one of the greatest movies of all time that this poster was based off of? One of the greatest posters of all time that this movie was based off of. Gone with the Wind. No. Mm, the Captain Blood. Is, no. The, no. The it's a movie we watched. Queen. Oh. Um, Wait, for the show? Yeah. Oh, uh, give me a decade. 90s. 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 Just tell me. Titanic. Oh, sure. Look at the poster. Yeah. Like, like the the mountain is the boat. That (laughs) is hilarious and kind of weird. Yeah. It's mostly weird. Kind of hilarious. But I mean, visually, like that's that's what you want. It you works want really well. Like, the mountain came between them, like the boat came between Jack and Rose. I think I the get sea it. came between them. No, then the sea would be in the <laughs> middle and not the boat. Although the boat brought them together, the sea came between the boat. Is <laughs> what you're saying? Because it sank. Right. Spoilers for history <laughs> and a movie. All right, you done? Yeah. Cool. Uh, last last film of 2006 Best Picture nominees. Racism, actually. I mean, Crash. Movie's called Crash. Movie's called Crash. Not the movie about weird, kinky sex stuff that um, James Spader made called Crash. What? Oh, yeah. There's another movie from the 90s called Crash with James Spader in which the plot of the movie are people who get off on crashes. Ew. Yeah, I do, it's weird. Why does that movie exist? Why is that a thing? I don't know. Not even the movie. Fun but fact. Just that. That was that's not, not a not fun a fact. That's picture. a gross fact. That's a whole other category. <laughs> what? Say that again. What did you say? I said fun fact. That movie was not nominated for Best Picture. I wonder why. If it was um, made in the sexy 80s, it would have been. They were 10 I mean, years it's, too it's, late. It's got a famous director, too. I don't think it was De Palma. Clint but... Eastwood. No, it, it might have been Soderbergh. Keep going. Oh, I'll that let you know. actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that... Yeah. That makes so much sense. So anyway, Crash, directed by Paul Haggis, written by Paul Haggis and Bobby Morasco, starring so many people. I Everybody. Pol- I apologize. Everybody is in this movie. I apologize. Some of them have big roles and some of them don't. I apologize if I screw up any Cronenberg. of these names. Cronenberg. Also makes sense. Yeah. Sandra Bullock, Don Cheadle, Matt Dillon, Jennifer Esposito, Brendan Fraser, Terrence Howard, Ludacris, Tandy Newton, Michael Pina, Ryan Felipe, Bahar, uh, Bahar Su... Sumeric? Sure. Uh, Lorenz Tate and Sean Sean Toop. This movie was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Matt Dillon. Director, original song called In the Deep. Yes. And it won Best Editing, Original Writing, and Best Picture. 
The plot revolves around some L.A. citizens who lead quite different lives from one another, and they all kind of crash together, if you will, collide together in some interweaving stories of racism and loss and probably redemption, though argue that is an argument no, point. No, no, not redemption. Nobody gets redeemed in this movie. Uh, I'm sorry. But the movie wants us. See, that's one of my problems with the movie. It wants you to think that people are redeemed. I don't think it does. No, it definitely does. No. And I All think... right, here's the thing. So here, before, so people know what the hell we're talking about. So there are these different interconnected stories that deal with either people it, who but... are racist and their racist <laughs> tendencies, either either acting I, either acting consciously or subconsciously that's one side and then the and then the other side who are also racist from the opposite point who are receiving who are the recipients of that racism okay um before we get into this i want to make i want to make some of my thoughts clear right from the outset every character in this movie is a horrible person nope that's not true except except the main characters that we see, okay, I agree, are horrible people except Michael Pena. Yep, he's the it. only one that who doesn't do the anything. Only person. He's, the, he's right. the nicest person. In right, the movie. he is the only person who doesn't have any sort of tendencies. Um, Jennifer Esposito. Yes. Okay. Although no, because at the beginning, when at the beginning when we first see her, she's yelling at an Asian, making fun of her accent. Oh, yeah, okay. So this movie... I forgot about that. Uh, this movie looks at racism in all forms, and it looks into it in two very distinct ways. You have the obvious racism of a character like Matt Dillon. Yep. And then you have the people who feel that they're good people who still have latent racism. Um, Sandra Bullock... Right. Brendan Fraser, Tandy Newton, Ryan Felipe. Oh, actually, would, maybe Tandy Newton doesn't. I mean, Tandy Newton doesn't do a lot. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go back Tan and say it's Tandy Newton might be the other person. Tandy Newton is definitely the other person. What happens to her is definitely it gives her reason to be the way she, it gives her reason to to act the way she does the rest of the film. Yes. And it doesn't, and I'm not saying like what she does prior to that is good, but what she does prior to that does not, does not remotely get called for what happens to her. Yeah. That's it. That's a Yeah. Both things are. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. So this movie won and everyone, and everyone was like, woo, it won. And then everyone went, see, no one went woo. Yeah. See, I remember I, everyone getting very upset because Brokeback Mountain didn't win. I remember that. But I, I remember there being hoopla around this movie in that it just shouldn't have won. Not that Brokeback should have. But I remember people, I remember people talking about this film being like... It, it has that. This is a weird. This is a weird comparison. It has the La La Land quality to me. Okay. Whereas the it's about L.A. Look at us. We we the Academy. Most of us live and work in L.A. It feels like it's about us. We're connected to it. And look, people are working through the problems that we see all the time. This is us. This is real. We got to vote for it. That's. 
in a way that La La Land is about the Hollywood industry. You know what I mean? Like, this is about us. It's, you know. This, but the, your analogy falls flat just because La La Land is a very glossy image of L.A. This is a very unfiltered look at what people, what the problems of L.A. were at the time. Mm-hmm. A very racist police department. A, a, a city that <clears throat> had issues with race. And I don't know if, you know, I would imagine it, it might still have issues. Mm-hmm. But no matter what anyone thought, like, these were issues that, that it had, the issues that it had problems with. And when you say, like, one of the things people count against this movie is how the racist people get redeemed. Yes, I, I think the film makes a big point about Matt Dillon's character trying to be redeemed. See, okay. I'm glad you used him as the yeah, as the I, focal point. I think he is really the focal point. He if, is. If you had to But I'm one. glad I'm glad like that's your like because you could have went two ways with it. You could have went with uh Sandra Bullock or or yeah, him. I don't think she's I think she's on the road to recovery right. if that makes sense. She realizes something about herself but that she doesn't like. That she doesn't like, but I don't know if it's that she's racist. I don't think she figures that part out yet. Like it's just that she's just an unlikable person and that's what she figures out. Yeah. So, and I mean for the most part Oh no, she kind of figures it's it's kind got something of, to do yeah, with because she tells her, she tells her the housekeeper they like you're my closest friend, but it doesn't actually feel like yeah she's happy so, about that. I don't know. So Matt Dillon's character, I don't think he gets redeemed. No, I don't think so either. But and that's, I don't think, but I think the movie I don't think the point think is that. supposed to be he gets redeemed. I think the point is, and when I'm formulating this in my head, even I still don't like how it sounds. The point is, like, he is a racist prick yeah, of a cop. But when he needed to be the servant protecting the people, he didn't let that be a problem. He still rushed in, put his life on the line, which is a very, it's a very gray scale. Like, this movie's very morally... Yes, that's, that's the part where it wants where. But he see, I don't think wants... he's being redeemed. I think he's doing the job that he. No, I see. I think you're mixing the two. I think you're mixing your personal feelings of him feeling like he's not redeemed versus the movie presenting itself as he should be redeemed at this moment in your eyes. Like it's pushing that on you because he doesn't know Tandy Newton's in the car. He no, knows but that even when he he knows the car is flipped over. Yes, he's running right. to do his job. He's not like, oh, let me get my but it's, out. But it's not it. like when he finds out it's yeah. her. He's like, well, if she dies, I'm not right I'm because never then have he, this because issue. then he wouldn't be redeemed. But the movie was the movie is saying, hey, he's still going to help her, and he apologizes, and he holds her when she's crying, and that's all the the I don't writing. Think he making, apologizes. Yeah, he's like, mm, okay, maybe yeah, he doesn't he, apologize. he definitely doesn't apologize. Okay. But he still he chooses to save her life that he he like screams like, no, put me like he puts himself back in the car and he pulls her out like when he could have just saved himself because they pull him out. And then he struggles to then go back in to save her. That's the act of like redeeming himself through actions. I don't think that he does. 
but I think the film wants you to think that he does, and that I, is the problem which is, with the film which is, overall. Like okay. it, it's the same with the the Persian um, Sean Sean Tuab. It wants you to think that oh, because they were because he didn't kill the girl, that he's still like he's okay. Yeah, but no, I don't he's think not. So. It's only because his daughter. Like, no one, no one in this movie do I think gets redeemed. Nor, I also don't feel anyone gets their comeuppance. The only one who you could kind of say gets their comeuppance is uh, Lorenz Tate's character, because sure. he has led a life of crime, and it and it caused his death. Whether like whether his whether life of crime deserved, deserved that ending <laughs> is very debatable. Yeah, but see, but he like goes back home and buys groceries for his mom. No, Don Cheadle his- did that. How did you not remember that? Don Cheadle goes the into the house and puts... Yeah, he's the one that does that. And he doesn't correct his mother because he wants her to have... This nice memory that of nice her memory son. That nice memory of her okay, son. Okay, so that's fine. So Okay, so he doesn't redeem himself that way. Okay, never mind. Yeah. I take it back. So, But still, I think that you kind of watch his character with Ludacris kind of pass over each other. You know what I mean? As like Ludacris goes up and Lance goes down, if that makes sense. I don't think no. Lorenz Tate doesn't really go down. He's just a thief. He's a thief. Mm. He doesn't he he's not um he's not deluded in what he is like Ludacris is. Like Ludacris is like we only steal from white people. Yeah. You know, because you know, he has this whole thing. Um in a, a latent, latent racism would be a good uh, thing of Ryan Phillippe, who hates Matt Dillon because he's so outwardly racist. Yet when he's confronted with Lorenz Tate's character alone yep. in an isolated setting, he lets that sort of thinking take over. Right. And it's like, ooh, look what the city does to you. And the the racism, it's so dangerous. And like it's like... Movie just like slaps you over the face with it. That racism is bad. Yeah. No, obviously racism is bad. You know, like that's not what I mean. But no, like, but that's I, to me that's the point of this movie. This the point yeah, of this obviously. movie is there is like this is a problem that we as humans need to work on, and it's not solved. And yes, we're not working. Yes, on it. I I agree because even at the end when they say like Ludacris like lets all the lets all the uh, the slaves go, the Asians go, yeah, yeah, like he still calls them Chinamen, right? And like he's yeah. just like not over it yet right you know what i mean like and so they intentionally i I think parts of this movie are still extremely relevant i think even the scope and theme of the work is relevant i just don't think it does a good job as the film goes on i think it starts really strong like so strong i think like sandra bullock yelling on the phone about like michael pina being a gang member and he's like she's gonna i want to change them again blah 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 right that feels so real to me and then it just gets more ludicrous with ludicrous um you know as the film goes and i think maybe that's what detached maybe like what maybe that's what i where i became detached where it's, it just it, it also cared so much about connecting all of these stories in a way that they don't really need to be connected sometimes. They don't, but i i don't felt like it was trying like yeah, i felt I, it was kind of seamless i felt that the film started it cared about all its characters at the beginning 
And then by the middle of the film, I was like, nah, JK, it's actually just about these people. No, I don't, I don't yeah. feel I don't that. think, I don't feel like it wrapped around and gave the rest of the characters kind of their due justice, I guess. No, I, I totally disagree. And this movie actually has... I mean, the Academy technically disagrees, too, because it won Best Editing. Yeah. I, this movie has my favorite scene, which is... I assume, since this is the last right, movie. Uh, which is the scene that you kind of touched on. The scene where... You know, the guy is holding the gun at Michael Pena and his daughter comes running out to protect him because she has an impenetrable cloak. That scene of her running through, mm-hmm. I remember like, I, I don't remember if I saw this in the theater, but I remember watching and like watching her start to run out. Her like my eyes would start filling with, with tears. Mm-hmm. And then when she jumps into his his embrace and you hear the gun go out i remember actually like letting out a very audible gasp which doesn't happen almost any time in a movie i let out an audible gasp when i was watching it this time i was like oh my what the yeah but then and then she's fine because the daughter bought blanks for the gun yep because she's a genius well, she didn't want him to have the gun in the first place. I know. So like, she was daughter is like The daughter is like, also kind of free of sin in this movie. Yeah. She's, she's probably, a very side character. She she's only has actually like the scenes. best person in this movie. No. Yeah. Mike, Michael Payne is. Because Michael he's Payne, in most yeah. of it. Yeah. The, all right. Either way. Like, I want them two to get married. but Michael Even Payne though he's married, married to the kid. Right. It's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's, it's fine. Anyway, do you have fun facts about this movie? Because I'm done talking uh, about it. I do. Fun fact. Watching this movie will not give you a good feeling about humanity. Nope, not even remotely. Okay, we're on crash, right? Yes. Paul Haggis holds the distinct... Sorry. Paul Haggis holds the distinction of being the only person ever to write the screenplay for two consecutive Best Picture winners. He also wrote the screenplay for previous year's Best Picture winner, Million Dollar Baby. I don't like Paul Haggis. I'm just putting it out there. That's, uh, that's he, two movies, man. Uh, I have I have issues with Million Dollar Baby, but I think it's written very well. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll find that. that out in next year. What else is Paul Hagen? Before Ryan Phillippe signed on, Heath Ledger was in talks for the role of Hanson. Ironically, Ledger starred in Brookback Mountain, the film that lost the best picture to Crash in a controversial decision. Paul Haggis also wrote Quantum of Solace. Yeah. He's written some bad stuff. And then. letters from Iwo Jima. Yeah, yeah. I'm really not he a fan wrote, of He wrote oh, Casino Royale. I do yeah, like he that. wrote a few um, he wrote, Eastwood movies. He's the creator of Walker, Texas Ranger. He is now my favorite human being. <laughs> the only Best Picture winner, the only Best Picture winner initially released before the previous year's Best Picture winner, Million Dollar Baby. This movie was released in 2004 on December 15th. And this film won 2006 Best Picture. The reason being, back then, and I believe it's changed since then, one of the requirements to be eligible for an Academy Award was it had to screen at least one week in Los Angeles. That's correct. Uh, a theater. I don't know if it's Los Angeles. No, this was specifically oh, Los Angeles. Has, okay, okay. And they've, they've since changed it. Um, and because it was, on a, it was on a very small rollout, mm-hmm. Because of that, it didn't get released in Los Angeles or wide even till the following year, making it still eligible. Oh, interesting. Wow. 
So it could have taken out Million Dollar Baby. It could have. And that would have been a really weird... That would have been weird. Yeah. Like, Paul Haggis gets not... Uh, see, I don't think they would... I don't know if they would have I think the, that. both movies get nominated for Best Picture. I don't think he gets nominated for both screenplays. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. I'll take that. Okay. Okay. So, those were all, those were all the films. So we're going to move on to our own award section, are we not? The Rewindies. The Rewindies. So, our... Our categories are, making sure we're not missing any, actor, yep. actress, mm-hmm. supporting actor, sure. supporting actress, yep. cinematography, sounds about right, production design, okay, music, yep, best picture. Okay. We usually don't do director, right? No. No, great. Okay. Steven Spielberg, the end. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Always Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. <laughs> Except we, our feelings on Steven are very clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I'll start with Actor? Actor? Yes. Heath Ledger. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Why Heath Ledger? Um, because that was the first, like, I was going to say Philip Seymour Hoffman, but Heath Ledger muscled just, his way out. He just came into your I brain. Just think he, I just think he does very good in his role. Okay. No, I agree. He did do very good in his role. But I think I, the whole time I was like, Heath Ledger. You know, like, I still was like, I'm watching Heath Ledger. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman, I, I Forgot you were Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, I can. It, I see the argument, and I don't disagree with Philip Seymour Hoffman. I just said Heath Ledger. For those of you who have never listened to the show before, we we take our we take the um, categories that the ones that I read off, and we can only choose from the movies right. on this list. Um, support. Uh, Bless you. Thank you. Um, actress. Actress. Go ahead. Michelle Williams. Who I know is I know is not I know she's technically a supporting actress in the categories, but yeah. there are not really any female leads, right? You know, except maybe in Crash, but it's but it's an ensemble piece, so they're all supporting right. each other. So I'm bumping her up. You're I bumping think she, her up. I'm that bumping is... her up to best actress. She was stupidly good, right. I think, and I think I felt for her more than anybody else in the film. Okay, at, at any point. Including, yeah, nope. That's yeah. I, including the mountain itself. Yeah, and that moose they shot that one time. These are these are very very well thought out reasons, and you're completely wrong, Sandra Bullock. Yeah, see, I just I took out. It is such a departure for her at this point in time in her career. Yeah, see, she's that, I, I I mean she's good, but I always think Sandra Bullock's good. Right, but she, at this point in time, she's rom com. She's rom com or she's speed. She like. This is a heavy part for her Okay, at this uh, point in her career. I'll and give this you, is kind of what shows people she can do more. Yeah, see, I'll give you that, but I don't think she was really in enough of it to be like... I mean, it's fine, but we can go back to the, the Judy Dench actress. argument. What? We can go back to the Judy Dench argument. Supporting actress. You know, like, this is best actress. And I, she was she was barely supporting in right. Crash. Uh, Anne Hathaway and Les Mis. Supporting actress. Was it supporting? I thought I she won like best actress. I think it's supporting, but I'm not. Yeah. Po- I'm not positive about that. Yeah. So, but I would make that same argument. But I don't run the academy, so you could say that to me. But I'd be like, yes, I'm, I'm trying. Can. Yeah, we're trying so hard. <laughs> supporting actor. Supporting actor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Think it out. Why don't you think about these before? No, I do. But I mean, sometimes it's just change your it. mind. Yeah. So I would I would probably I would probably say uh Chris Cooper in 
Chris Cooper. Whoa. He's really good. He is really good. It's He's just kind like, of a scene stealer. Just came out of left. I don't know. Yeah. Just came out of left field. I just wasn't expecting that. I I also have to at least somewhat. Like if I vehemently hate a character, that's there's good. no that's way I'm good. not gonna. That's good acting. Like no, I'm. There's no way I'm gonna. I'm gonna think about it. So like I can't remotely even consider Matt Dillon. Oh, because you hate his character. See, but right. that is. I know that's the point of the character. Yes, that means he's very good at what he did. Right. Well, the writing I think is very good at what it did. I don't really think he like the writing is what makes him a horrible character. Sure. Okay. I'll give you that. Okay. So, um, I say Heath Ledger because my argument is that they support each other in the film and as actors in Brokeback Mountain, and so I'm going to give it to I'm going to give it to Heath Ledger. Okay. All right. Supporting actress. Supporting actress, I will give to Michelle Williams. Okay. Acceptable. I'm going to give mine, yeah. and I know why. Um, I'm going to give mine to Tandy Newton because Tandy Newton deserves all the awards. Yeah, all she's the time. really good in this. She's very good in this, and I. I I'm glad she's getting recognition for, you know, for Westworld and all this different stuff. But right. But man, just she was great in this. You know, she's probably my favorite part of the movie. She is really good in this yeah. movie. The cinematography. Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain. I came close, but I thought Good Night and Good Luck because it's more difficult to shoot in black and white than people realize. This was not shot in black and white. That was shot in color. Okay, well, it's more difficult to post. To it's more difficult to lose color. It's more <laughs> to lose color. Well, now I'm even more impressed because <laughs> they shot it in color and then he blacked and whited it, and I, I enjoyed it. I I I liked many of the angles it chose f- for yeah. Moro because he, it should be dull. He's just sitting in a chair, and yet, like I'm, and it was, and I'm no, and and I personally was captivated. I was personally captivated by Strathairn's performance, and I think the cinematography had a lot to do with that. Okay. So there you go. Production design. Good night and good luck. Wow, interesting choice. Yeah. <laughs> Is it because they shot in color? <laughs> but that it was a black Because and white? it's so much harder to shoot and be like, we're going to do this in black and white, even though we're shooting in color. Everyone wear black and white to work. I, ca- I-, I came really <laughs> close to good night and good luck, but I'm actually giving it to Capote. Because it just felt, it just felt seamless with the costume design, and like everybody just blended perfectly into 1959. And I thought, well, that's when it was shot. It was shot in 1959. Yeah, yeah they had a, a really old movie that went back in time. Yep. No, it's just I thought it was really well done. Best music, Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain also came really close. So Brokeback won best music. Yeah, um, I'm going to give it to Munich. Because, because I like the solo. <laughs> because I, like I really the solo like John singer. Williams. Yeah, I like the solo singer. It, I, honestly, so it was the I. only thing in the movie that really was, really stuck with. There me. was something. I'm going to see if I can find it. There was something about the music in Munich that I didn't include. That it was that it was Great. from a 12th century nun. What? Yeah. Oh, you mean the you mean the 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 vocalization? Wow. See, that makes it even better. That's why I loved it. It was great. Was right up my right so. up my alley. Although we don't do this, I would say that I I really love the song "In the Deep" from Crash. And if this there was like is best, a fire. nope, no, wrong I one. I know. <laughs> but um, if this was like a song thing, I would definitely have picked Crash. Uh, but overall, I liked. Yeah, the, we're not doing best original songs. It's enough categories as it is. 
And then you look for that. So what I don't say, best picture. Let's open uh, up that award. Writing. You're not ready? No, I said we forgot writing. Oh, best writing. Um, you, you did say that, right? No, I completely forgot. Oh, yeah, we do writing. Oh, well, best writing then. Crash. You go. Yeah. Meh. Meh. No, it's not Crash. No, no, it is. That's, that's the only right choice. Mm, Capote. I'm going to give it to Capote. No, I don't like that choice either. No, it's a horrible choice. Mountain. No, Brokeback Mountain. It's Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll give it to Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Because even though Ang, because I think the script was there, I don't care for Ang Lee the same, like, the, maybe the way he presents it as a bit of a, a, a sterile or cold kind of story at the beginning. But mm-hmm. But I think that the writing doesn't present itself that way. So I'll say Brokeback Mountain. Okay, so okay. all right, so and the best picture goes to Crash Capote. Yeah, yeah, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. Yeah, well, I'm the editor of this podcast, <laughs> so I'm not going to edit out that sneeze, but I am going to edit out you saying <laughs> your movie. That's what's going to happen. In fact, I'm not. No, gonna, I'm not I think gonna do any of that. I think Crash is just it crashes, man. It crashes and burns no, at the end. It, it is. It's an ensemble piece. The acting is is top notch. Yeah, I think the, the acting writing is, good. is very complex and comes together brilliantly. And this movie still holds. You know, we're only talking about a movie ten years ago, but this movie holds up well, and even on repeat viewings, is still as good as it was when I first saw it. Yeah, well, I mean, you are entitled to your wrong opinion, though it is wrong. Stop that's, stealing my lines. That's fine. No, I. I won't. <laughs> so anyway, so that was that has been it from us. Next on Academy Rewind coming up because Palmer's still searching for that. Nah, I couldn't find it. Oh, okay. did you just give up and now you're just going through your phone? Like that's unhelpful. I'm like trying to buy you time here. Now I'm on Twitter. Oh, I hate you so much. Anyway, uh, our movies, our follow up movies for next week, 1996 Best Picture nominees. They are as follows: Braveheart, Apollo 13. Il Postino, The Postman, Babe. That's right. Babe, Pig in the City was nominated for Best Picture. Let's oh, didn't we just never, do something by that writer, too? Never, and we're like, this is the never, guy who wrote Babe? Never forget. Yeah, George Miller is the director of Babe. Oh, right. Oh, God. I have to watch another one of his movies. Yeah, you have to watch a George Miller movie. Yep, because we just did um, Mad we Max. We just did Mad Max Fury Road. That's right. And Sense and Sensibility is the last film. Ooh, so. I haven't seen that one. So we, oh, you're going to like it. I've also never seen Babe. I've somehow made it this far in life without seeing Babe. It's, it, was a, it was a badge of honor, and now I'm going to have to watch it. Tearing that badge down, baby. Yeah. I'm tearing it down. I haven't seen Babe in a long time, so it's going to be a fun episode. I love our 90s episodes. <laughs> just, what, what was happening in the 90s? What was happening? We need, we, need, we need nominees for Best Picture. Braveheart. Anything else? Babe. You can tell that the 90s were just like, man, we're just feeling good. We're just feeling great right now because we nominated a movie about a talking pig. That is uh, some yeah. pig. But it has James Cromwell. Yeah, it does. Yeah. All right. Well, then. Uh, so you can find us on Twitter at Academy Rewind and email uh, Academy Rewind at gmail.com. You can rate and review us on iTunes and find us at all the places podcasts can be found, including but not limited to places like iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, and 
um, Overcast and Spotify and iHeartRadio and all of these, and I think Pandora. We're on Pandora now because they have a podcast. They have a podcast section, so we're just all over the place. We're just so busy and important. I just can't. We even, really are. I just can't even deal. So that's it from us, which is good because I think they're playing us off. No, I have some more people to thank. Oh, that's too bad. Bye. Bye.